Mirror, Mirror, a Good Omens fan fiction, written by Improbable Dreams 900, Chapter 4, The Serpent. After a few minutes of splashing his way through the pothole-riddled streets and feeling his feet grow steadily more soaked, Crowley decided that, despite the storm, it would be faster to travel by air. He unraveled his wings, extended and strengthened the invisible wall around him that deflected the raindrops, and threw himself into the air, wings catching a cold gust of wind. The storm raged more fiercely as Crowley was swept above the crumbling roofline, and he quickly gained altitude. He hastily angled his wings south and struggled to find a wind current that was going in the right direction. He found one after a few long moments of tearing himself free of eastbound currents and let it carry him higher and higher. The rain sped past him, darkening his vision into a blur of gray lines. The air was cold and charged around him, and Crowley suddenly doubted the wisdom of leaving the ground as he felt every one of his feathers stand on end. A heartbeat later, there was a flash of incredibly bright light off to his right, and Crowley dove away from it instinctively, cranking in his wings to make a smaller target. At nearly the same instant, there was a terrific crash from all around him, and it sounded like the clouds themselves were tearing apart. As Crowley shot away from the bolt of lightning, he found himself swept into a hot current of air. Before he could pull out of it, he felt himself propelled higher and higher, the rooftops shrinking beneath him as the rain swallowed them. With a tremendous effort, shoulders protesting the abuse, Crowley cranked his wings in and dove out of the current. They were snapped open almost immediately by another short burst of air, and for a moment Crowley hung in the air, sucking in a deep breath. London sprawled beneath him, dark and indistinct shapes in the rain-torn twilight. Crowley had always liked looking at London from above, the bright, pulsing arteries of the streets jammed with traffic were visible, and the artificial boundaries of boroughs were outlined only by gleaming lines of city lights. The Thames wound through it all, a flat brown or green line crisscrossed with bridges, and yet still completely heedless of the city that had sprung up around its banks. As Crowley dropped a little lower, the rain parting momentarily around him, he felt horror spread through him at the sight laid out beneath him. London was nearly unrecognizable. Great swaths of the city were just jagged black voids, and there wasn't a single sodium light in sight. The A4200 and the A40 weren't even visible, and the Shard, the London Eye, and several of the bridges were nowhere to be seen. The Thames itself appeared to be the only thing unchanged, as serpentine a force of nature as ever, cold and grey and uncompromising. The A4200 and the A40 weren't even visible. 
and the Shard, the London Eye, and several of the bridges were nowhere to be seen. The Thames itself appeared to be the only thing unchanged, as serpentine a force of nature as ever, cold and grey and uncompromising. A huge gust of wind slammed into Crowley, and he was whisked west, wings spreading to catch the lift. The rain pounded harder against his marigold shield, and Crowley could feel it begin to weaken as droplets caught in his feathers. Crowley locked his eyes on where he knew Soho must be and worked his way towards it, wings straining against the wind. A fresh fork of lightning speared through the air, somewhere far ahead of him, imprinting itself on Crowley's retinas as the air shook around him with the answering crash of thunder. The wind kept trying to blow him off course, but after a long couple of minutes, Crowley was able to get low enough over Soho to try and pick out Aziraphale's bookshop. His eyes latched onto the correct street, and he descended further. There was another sharp burst of wind as Crowley neared street level, trying to whisk him first back up and then straight down. Crowley gave up trying to fight it, folding his exhausted wings sooner than he probably should have as his feet slammed hard into the brick surface of the road. Crowley's legs collapsed under the force of the impact, and he only barely managed to keep himself from pitching forward into a huge puddle. A wave of static bounced over Crowley's vision as the G-forces rolled over him, and he felt his invisible shield begin to fragment further as his concentration faltered, rain peppering his shoulders. Once his vision cleared, he forced himself to his shaking feet, let his wings melt out of sight, and took in the place where Aziraphale's bookshop should have been. The building looked largely the same, except it was missing most of the top floor. The roof collapsed over crumbling walls. The shop itself was dark and looked utterly deserted, and the windows were all shattered, jagged glass teeth lining the frames. Crowley approached hesitantly, looking up at where the sign above the broken door read, The Hung Swan, in very faded red print. Crowley's eyes flicked back down to the door as he stepped closer, giving up on his tattered shield as more rain slipped through the cracks and rolled through his hair. Crowley stepped under the scant shelter of the threshold, and pushed the shattered remains of the door open with a hand. Aziraphale? Crowley called hesitantly as the door creaked open. There was no reply, and Crowley slowly made his way into the darkened shop. Instead of rows of bookshelves, the space was dotted with a few round tables, most of them broken or upended. A stool with a missing leg lay on its side in front of him, the splintered wood seeming to reach out towards him. Hello, Crowley called quietly as the door swung mostly shut behind him. He padded further into the space, glass crunching under his shoes. 
Is anyone there? His voice echoed eerily in the too quiet space, but again there was no response beyond the roar of the storm outside and the patter of rainwater slipping through the floorboards of the ceiling and dripping onto the floor. Crowley reached the rear of the shop and carefully climbed the worn stairs, skin prickling with unease. Aziraphale, Angel, he called again as he reached the upper floor. A large portion of the roof was collapsed to his right, and Crowley shivered as a cold wind swept through the remaining portion of the story. Rain pooled on the warped floorboards, and in every available upturned crevice, spilling over and splashing onto the floor. Crowley picked his way through the wreckage, being careful to mind his step in case any of the floorboards felt like giving way. There was no sign of his or Xerophel's things, and Crowley felt a bizarre burst of relief. If he'd found the remains of the bookshop as Aziraphal had left it, then that would have suggested quite strongly that this world lay in their future. Since that wasn't the case, regardless of whether Aziraphal had moved to somewhere else or simply never lived here at all, that meant the angel was probably holed up somewhere else, entirely safe and sound. Crowley let out a heavy breath and poked half-heartedly with his toe at a soggy length of cloth lying over a broken piece of furniture. It was then that, from somewhere beneath Crowley, there came a sound of something snapping. Crowley froze, thinking the floorboards had decided to crack after all. When he cautiously shifted his weight, the floor seemed solid enough beneath his feet. There was another small sound from beneath him. He realized that the noise must have come from the ground floor. Crowley cast his eyes around for a weapon and pried a half-rotten length of timber free from a pile of rubble as quietly as he could. Was heavier than it looked, but Crowley held it like a sword in front of him as he advanced on the top of the stairs, rain soaking through his jacket as he tried to keep his footsteps as silent as possible on the warped floorboards. Crowley reached the stairs without incident and began to carefully creep down them. Despite his best efforts, they creaked under his weight and he grimaced. He knew he was probably given away, but continued creeping down the stairs just in case. He was halfway down the stairwell when a thought occurred to him. As unlikely as it was, he found himself wondering, hopefully, if Aziraphale would be waiting for him downstairs. He hadn't seen another living soul in the whole city, but this was Aziraphale's bookshop, or what was left of it. Crowley reached the bottom of the stairs and stepped on the last step, casting his gaze around the darkened tavern. There was no one in sight. Zira, Crowley called hesitantly, nervously adjusting his grip on the length of timber in his hands. 
The building rattled in the wind. The rain pounded on the ceiling, and lines of water dripped onto the floor. But there was no other response. Crowley sighed and stepped off the stairs, beginning to lower the piece of timber in his grip. There was a faint creak to his left, followed by a flash of silver in the corner of his eye. Crowley leapt backwards, yanking the length of timber back into a defensive position, and stumbled as he tripped on the bottom step. A heartbeat later, there was another flash of silver, and Crowley's improvised weapon shuddered in his hands as the blade of a sword lodged itself firmly in the splintered wooden beam. Crowley blinked at it in surprise and tried to stumble further backwards, only succeeding in falling backwards onto the stairs, scraping one elbow on the edge of a step as he clumsily caught himself. It was then that the sword's owner arrived in his line of sight. She was wearing something dark, and her blonde hair and light-colored wings were all Crowley could make out in the half-light. He could tell by her aura that she was an angel, but a fraction of a second was all it took for Crowley to recognize that she wasn't Aziraphale. He felt a flash of disappointment, followed by a surge of belated adrenaline as he processed that he'd have to defend himself. Crowley, still half-sprawled on the stairs, quickly twisted the piece of timber in his hand in an attempt to wrench the hilt of the sword from his attacker's grasp. A little to his surprise, this worked perfectly and the hilt of the sword slammed into the corner of the wall of the stairwell. The angel lunged after the hilt, and Crowley, not in a good position to grab the sword himself, hastily tossed the piece of timber away, the blade of the sword still lodged in its side. Given Crowley's poor angle, he wasn't able to throw it very far, but the angel lurched after it anyway, and Crowley saw his opening. He pushed himself to his feet, elbows still smarting, and sprinted for the door. Halfway there, eyes still adjusting to the semi-darkness, he felt his foot catch on something and he crashed forward and slammed face first into the floor. All the air was knocked from Crowley's lungs and he spent a moment just gasping breathlessly as he forced himself shakily to his hands and knees. He tried to scramble to his feet and bolt for the door, but his ankle was twisted and only moved a few inches. Crowley glanced over his shoulder and swore loudly when he saw that he got it stuck in the broken three-legged stool. Beyond that, he saw the angel yanking her sword free from the piece of timber. Crowley kicked hard at the stool with its other foot, and on his third strike, it broke. Crowley pulled himself free, scrambled to his feet, and almost fell over again as his ankle refused to support him. Crowley swore again and started limping hastily towards the exit, unwilling to spend the necessary time and concentration on healing his ankle right now. He heard a crunch of glass not far behind him and knew that the angel would reach him before he gained the relative safety of the street. Crowley made a split-second decision and threw himself sideways, collapsing into a clumsy ball and rolling gracelessly over a patch of shattered glass. Crowley twisted on the floor until he had the angel's swiftly moving feet in his line of sight and made a sharp motion with his hand. The stool he just tripped over shifted half a meter to the side and collided with the shins of the angel as she sprinted towards him. She lost her footing and slammed into the floor only a meter or two away. Her sword hand was very close to Crowley and the demon hastily crawled over and tore the sword from her grip. 
Crowley scrambled to his feet again and limped backwards until he was leaning against the wall near the tavern's door. He put all his weight on his good foot and spent a few seconds channeling healing power into his twisted ankle as the angel started to gain her feet. Stay where you are, Crowley commanded, pointing the sword in her direction as threateningly as he could. The angel froze, looked up at him slowly, still only halfway to her feet. She stayed frozen there for a moment, and then abruptly dropped back into a sitting position and fixed her gaze somewhere around Crowley's shins. She sniffed, and Crowley realized, with surprised confusion, that she was simultaneously crying and trying very hard not to. "'Uh,' said Crowley, wondering if this was some sort of ploy. He kept the sword at the ready, flexing his fingers nervously on the hilt. The angel wiped angrily at her cheeks with the back of her hand and looked up to meet Crowley's gaze. Her expression went through several emotions in quick succession and settled on frustrated defiance. Slay me, serpent, but two more will replace me. Uh, said Crowley again, who didn't like the sound of that. You will be defeated, and the earth shall be free from your evil grip. Peace shall reign again. This shall come to pass. Crowley adjusted his grip on the sword and decided it was time to get some answers. Why are you trying to kill me? he demanded. The angel laughed a little hysterically, and Crowley frowned at her. <laughs> Who on this godforsaken rock isn't trying to? Godforsaken? Crowley echoed. He was surprised an angel would use the word. The angel sniffed. He will return to strike you down, she proclaimed. And when he does, the wicked shall tremble. You didn't answer my question, Crowley pointed out. Why are you trying to kill me? Because you destroyed the world, that's why. The angel snapped as though she thought she shouldn't have needed to explain this to him. Because our father's work is a smoking ruin and you lit the damn match. Crowley looked down at her in horror. Because you have slain my brothers and sisters, the angel continued bravely. And I am here to avenge their deaths. I think you have me confused with someone else, Crowley offered hopefully. The angel's frustrated expression paused, and she blinked up at him. What? This... this destroyer of worlds, or whoever you're looking for, it's not me. She frowned at him. But you are Crawley. Serpent of Eden, Emperor of the Damned, Commander of the Legions of the Abyss? Are you not? Er, 
Crowley said, whose mouth had suddenly gone very dry. Yes, to the serpent part. Did you say Emperor of the Damned? But you... you are him, the angel said, sounding confused and a little like she thought this was a trick. I'd know your aura anywhere. Everyone does. Do they? Crowley asked nervously. You made sure of it. The angel tilted her head at him slightly, eyes narrowing in suspicion. But why are you playing with me like this, serpent? Just smite me and be done with it. Crowley sighed and lowered the sword. I'm not going to kill you. The angel eyed the lowered sword and slowly made her way to her feet. Good, she said, because I'm going to kill you. She leapt towards him, clearly intent on throttling him with her bare hands if necessary, but Crowley ducked out of the way just in time. She grabbed onto his arm, and Crowley hissed and spun on his heel, bringing the sword back around until she released him. She threw herself at Crowley again, evidently trying to tackle him to the ground. But Crowley just planted his feet and pushed back, keeping the flat of the sword between them, and kicked out her shins from underneath her. The angel hit the floor again, and this time Crowley retreated a safe distance, sword at the ready. Look, I don't want to kill you, okay? And I'm not the emperor of hell or whatever. The angel sucked in a deep breath, but fixed her gaze back on him, hatred in her eyes. Please, Crowley said. Just, just listen for a moment. The angel narrowed her eyes at him but didn't move from her spot sprawled on the floor. Crowley took a deep breath and took her silence as leave to continue. My name is Crowley, and I'm not the emperor of anything, but I think I know who you are looking for. The angel glowered at him. This other bloke, he looks just like me, right? Except he has a beard? Crowley drew his hand across his chin, miming a goatee. The angel blinked at him suspiciously. Yes, Crowley. Well, I'm Crowley, Crowley said again, and I think I'm from a parallel universe. The angel stared at him, eyes guarded. What deception is this, serpent? Crowley sighed and lowered the sword, but kept himself a healthy distance from the angel in case she planned on lunging after him again. It's not a deception. I'm not from this world. The earth. My earth. It's not like this. It's not been destroyed, for one thing. The people are happy. Well, as happy as people can be, and the world's got its problems, certainly, but it's nothing like this. I'm a demon stationed on Earth to tempt humanity, but to be honest, I haven't done anything hell would actually be proud of in centuries. 
The angel blinked at him again, but she looked less certain. What's your name? Curly asked. The angel shifted on the floor, glass crunching under her. Sandelaphon, she admitted. Sandelaphon, Curly repeated, moving towards her. He transferred the sword to his other hand and reached down with his dominant, offering to help her up. Well, Sandy, how about we sit down and talk about this? We can promise not to kill each other? Sandelaphon blinked up at him in surprise, and he could tell that she still thought this was some sort of trick. But after a moment of eyeing his offered hand warily, she took it and allowed Crowley to draw her to her feet. There, that wasn't so hard, was it? Crowley asked, relieved that the situation had been salvaged. He walked over to the nearest upright table and fished around underneath it for an intact chair. He found one that was missing half its back, brought it up to the table, and sat down. Sandelaphon hadn't moved from where he'd helped her to her feet, and Crowley figured she was considering bolting. He let her consider it. Then, her curiosity got the better of her, and she slowly walked over and drew up a chair herself. Crowley showed her the sword in his hand, and then deliberately set it behind him on the floor, the blade dropping onto the scuffed floorboards with a slight thump. It was easily out of his reach, but if she made a move, Crowley would certainly reach it first. Now, Crowley said, settling his elbows on the table, which had two large fissures in its rough wood surface. I'll tell you about my world if you tell me about yours. Sandelaphon looked at him shrewdly. If this is a ploy to get information on heaven, I won't talk. I don't need anything specific, Crowley reassured her. Broad strokes is fine. Sandelaphon frowned at him. Crowley sighed and shifted his arms, wincing as his hurt elbow scraped along the wood. He took a moment to heal it. Look, I know what you're thinking, but I'm really not him. How about you only tell me things that I, or Crawley, already knows? That way, if I am lying, you're not telling me anything new, and you can just disregard everything I say as utter rubbish. No harm done. She continued frowning at him, but less severely. You don't have anything to lose, Curly pointed out. Why would I be sitting here if I wasn't telling the truth? Though, if you do think I'm lying, you can leave right now. I won't hurt you. Candelaphon looked at him levelly for a long moment, but didn't move from her chair. Curly spread his hands slightly, as though showing her the facts of the situation. Is this what you do? she asked. In your world? Angels and demons sitting at the table talking? Crowley gave her a small smile. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what we do. Or it's what I do, at least. Crowley adjusted his elbows nervously. 
I have a, well, I suppose you could call him a friend, back home. An angel named Aziraphale. This place, Crowley gestured around them at the tavern. It's a bookshop in my world, and Aziraphale lives here. Sandelephon looked at him in guarded surprise. You were looking for him. Yes, Crowley agreed. I was hoping he might be here, whatever version of him there is in this universe. I don't suppose you've heard of an angel named Aziraphale? Sandelephon looked at him carefully, evidently wondering if this was a piece of information she shouldn't divulge. Please, Crowley said. I know I said I wasn't going to ask specifics, but I just want to know if he's all right. Actually, Crowley wasn't sure why he was asking at all. He knew that whatever Aziraphale existed in this universe wasn't his Aziraphale, but somehow that didn't seem to matter, and if anyone in this devastated world would be inclined to offer him help, he felt certain that it would be Aziraphale. I haven't heard of an angel by that name, Sandelephon said after a long moment. Crowley let out a breath, not sure whether that should make him more or less worried. He was the guardian of the Eastern Gate in Eden, Crowley added, in case that would jog her memory. That was where I met him. Sandelephon took a sharp breath. Oh, the Guardian of the East Gate. I remember him. Crowley brightened. Is he all right? Do you know where I could find him? Sandelephon's gaze roved back to Crowley, and she seemed a little confused. Oh, no, sorry. He's dead. Crowley felt something heavy settle into the pit of his stomach. You, uh, you killed him, Sandelephon added. But surely you knew that. Icy fingers wrapped themselves around Crowley's insides, and his mouth became very dry. I... what? He was the first angel to die after the fall. Sandelephon said, sounding a little puzzled. It sparked your whole career, I suppose. Or Crawley's career. The guardian of the Eastern Gate had been sent to Earth as punishment for letting the serpent into the garden, and that's where Crawley killed him. Heaven sent another angel to replace him and avenge his death, but Crawley killed her too. And the next replacement, and the next. Crowley stared at her in horror. But how is he still alive? He stammered. If heaven kept sending angels after him. He had an unpleasant feeling he already knew the answer. Sandelephon shifted uncomfortably in her chair. It's history, she said simply. He just kept winning. 
He gathered a following in hell and became a serious threat. Heaven sent better and better warriors, but even the ones who were more powerful than him just never came back. Crowley stared at her, horrified. You're saying I killed hundreds of angels, Sandelafong confirmed, sounding like she was dredging up an unpleasant memory. The best of the best. And then they ran out of the best. Crowley put that together, and something clicked in his mind. That's why you're here, he guessed hollowly. You are trying to stop me. Heaven sent you. Sandelephon nodded shortly and looked down at the cracked surface of the table. You might have noticed that I'm not a warrior. We ran out ages ago. You can't really fight, Crowley noted apologetically, still trying to process what the angel had told him. Sandelephon nodded and shrugged. I'm expendable. I think the archangels are just trying to keep legitimate losses to a minimum, to be honest. I didn't stand a chance and was never supposed to. She stared down at the table, morosely. Well, you're still alive, right? Crowley said with slightly forced cheer. It's a good thing you ran into me instead of him. Sandelephon's mouth twisted. I suppose. You mentioned the archangels, Crowley remembered. Why haven't they tried to stop Crowley? They did. We all did. But what happened? Crowley asked, puzzled. Even if he had somehow grown as truly evil as Hoster Ligur, Crowley couldn't imagine he'd fare well against an archangel. He just wasn't powerful enough. He slew Michael, Sandelephon said flatly. And Gabriel. And Azriel and Jophiel and Uriel. Crowley stared at her, feeling his heart stop beating for a moment. That's... that's not possible. Sandelephon gave a short, bitter laugh. Ha! That's what we thought, too. It's just Raphael and Jeremel left. They've barricaded themselves in heaven. Every five years, they send down an angel to challenge Crowley, but... She trailed off. Every five years? Crowley echoed incredulous. He remembered something Sandelephon had said a few moments ago. Wait, how long did you say this has been going on for? We abandoned the earth 300 years ago, Sandelephon said bleakly. I used to love the earth, but... There's so little left. Hold on, Crowley said, struggling to process what she was implying. You're saying that in in this backwards universe, I not only killed Aziraphale, but Michael himself? And then 
went on to be, what, emperor of hell and and Below's been running loose over the earth since the bloody 18th century? Sandelophon let out a breath and nodded. Crowley stood up, heart pounding in his chest. I need to get out of here. Crowley's mind was flashing back to his own universe, and the fact that that abomination of himself was running wild across his planet. Crowley remembered Aziraphale sitting safe and sound in his bookshop and felt his blood run cold. I need to get back to my world, Crowley said, beginning to pace nervously across the scattered debris of the tavern. That... that... Crowley, or whatever he's calling himself. I just saw him. I was in my flat, minding my own business, and then this white portal thing just opened up and he came through. He tried to kill me, so I jumped through the portal as it was about to close. Because I thought, okay, glowing white portal, it's going to be a doorway to hell, right? But no, it's... this... this god! Crowley, ground to a halt by his chair, staring down at Sandelophon's sword on the floor. He's going to destroy my world, isn't he? Are you sure it was him? Sandalophon asked, not answering his question. Crowley shrugged helplessly. Maybe. He didn't seem very friendly, and I don't know who else it could have been. You said he opened a portal, Sandalophon prompted. Do you know how he did it? Crowley shrugged again and turned his gaze to where Sandalophon was seated at the table. I don't know. Heaven knows I haven't the faintest clue how to open bloody portals between, between alternate universes or something. Do you think he's planning on coming back? She sounded almost hopeful, but the thought chilled Crowley to the bone. God, I hope so. Not that your world isn't perfectly fine and dandy he added hastily. But clearly, Crawley knows how to make portals between our worlds, so he might be my only way back. Back. For the first time, Crowley let himself entertain the notion that he might be trapped in this world indefinitely. There was a cold pang in his chest, and for a moment he couldn't breathe as the full implications sank in. He remembered the last time he'd seen Aziraphale, when the angel had good-naturedly waved him off as Crowley had pushed his way through the bookshop door and out into the street, and fervently wished that he had said something more than chow. Did he say what he wanted? Crowley dragged his mind back to the present, hands working nervously. No, he didn't. Did the other version of himself want? What could the Emperor of Hell possibly want with Crowley's own world? Though that brought up another question. Crowley pivoted. What about Lucifer? He's in this universe, right? If Crowley's the Emperor of Hell and all, what happened to him and the Dukes? The Dukes work for Crowley, Sandelephon said. And no one's seen Lucifer in a millennia. 
Oh, somebody, Crawley said, and sat back down. Rumor has it he's still alive, though, Sandelifon said hopefully. We think Crawley likes to torture him. That is so, so wrong on so many levels. <sighs> Crowley groaned and put his face in his hands. He rubbed at his eyelids with his fingertips. I am not an evil megalomaniac. I don't kill archangels. I don't level cities. And I certainly don't torture the king of darkness. I can barely bring myself to terrorize my plants. It bothered him a great deal more than he cared to admit. The knowledge that, apparently, lurking just beneath the surface, he had the potential to rule hell. Or the potential to kill a Xerophel in cold blood, for that matter. Crawley usually had to fetch a Xerophel to squash particularly large spiders. He didn't feel like a killer, and he didn't want to be a killer. He just wanted to go home. Crowley felt a cautious prod on his arm and dropped his hands back to the table. Sandelifon was looking at him with a peculiar expression. You're not Crowley, she said. Crowley sighed, feeling stressed and on edge. No, I'm not. But you look just like him. Unfortunately. Or, Sandelifon said, very fortunately indeed. Crowley put two and two together and blanched. No, not a snowball's chance. They fear you. Everyone fears you. What would be the point? This world is dying, Sandelifon said, gesturing at the tavern. We can't stop him. But maybe, while he's away in your world, you can help us save ours. If he's coming back at all, Crowley said dismally. And no offense, but I just want to save my world where apparently there's a homicidal maniac running around with my face. He'll be back, Sandelifon assured him. He's spent too much time molding this world to his design. But since you don't know how to open a portal, that means Crawley probably didn't work it out himself either. Somebody else in hell must have told him. But that has to be incredibly powerful magic, and there's only one person in hell who'd have that kind of knowledge. No. I think the rumors are true, and all you'd have to do is ask. They'll see right through me. He'll see right through me. They won't, and it doesn't matter if he does. Trust me, no one will dare speak out against you. No. Oh, come on, Sandelifon said, leaning slightly across the table. There was a devious glimmer in her eye that Crowley found looked all too familiar. 
there isn't some small part of you, Crowley, that always wanted to be Emperor of Hell? Crowley's back door to Hell yawned in front of them, a dark schism in reality. Aziraphale could feel his aura interacting with it, clashing with the utter absence of God's love. Hell wasn't really full of dark forces, so much as it was lacking in good ones, and that emptiness was what transformed the demons who spent too much time there into such twisted beings. Crowley had once told him that the effects were fairly easy to avoid as long as your aura was in good shape, though it still wasn't surprising that Crowley was loath to spend much time in this place. "'Are you sure about this?' Aziraphale asked nervously, looking into the gaping black maw and nervously running his hands over each other. Above would be furious if they found out what he was about to do. Crowley laid a firm hand on his elbow, and Aziraphale looked over at him nervously. "'Do you trust me?' Crowley asked, beautiful golden eyes meeting Aziraphale's own. Crowley's gaze was level and clear, and Aziraphale took solace in the fact that Crowley seemed confident nothing would go awry. And the truth was, even if this had been a journey to the ninth circle of hell to slay Lucifer himself, Aziraphale would have been standing here just the same, because Crowley had asked him to be. Of course. Crowley gave him a small smile and turned back to the gaping maw. He unfurled his wings and stepped inside. End of chapter 4